doesn't like you, sorry. I don't like you either. Have we used that one before? No, I like it. <clears throat> Hello, welcome to the Weekly Song Podcast. My name is Roger Heathers. With me, as always, is my co-host, Declan Kitchener. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Bit, bit of a eventful drive, but other than that, fine. Well, you're here and you're in one piece. Yeah, Roger got treated to like the full like 15 minute accounts, blow by blow, of just the mind-numbing boredom of the drive down this week. Uh, basically, I couldn't listen to my own music and the traffic was like uh, crawled to a standstill, so I had to listen to classic FM the whole way down. Declan hates classical music. <laughs> I, I, I like classical music. I just hate like snobby presenters who go, "Yes, you're so you're so cultural for listening to classical music, aren't you?" Yeah, it's it's not not the station I'd readily choose. But um, music's lovely. People are not. The people not so much, huh? Yeah. And we've lost all of our listeners already. <laughs> um, welcome to the Weekly Song Podcast. For those of you who are regular listeners, welcome back. For those of you who are new. Um, we write a song each in a week and we come to the podcast and we talk to each other about them. Last week we had uh, the brilliant Sammy Jonas on with us and uh, this week it's just Declan and I and uh, we uh, yeah, we're recording a little later in the week just to peek behind the curtain so this feels a little odd for us so now at this point we have three days each to write our or finish our next song. Yeah, basically uh, we normally try and record Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday kind of time and have the show out on Friday. Yeah. We're recording on a Friday. <laughs> the show's still going to be out on a Friday, so if you're hearing this today, this is literally earlier today that we were doing this. Yes, right up to the minute, topical news. Um, I can't think of a single thing that's happened today in real life. N- yeah, no- nothing today. <laughs> nothing today, but stay tuned. You never know what's going to come <laughs> yeah. in. Nuclear war might start halfway through the podcast, and then once nuclear war has started, you'll be able to have a glimpse at the last moments before we all got nuked to oblivion. On with the show. <laughs> <laughs> nice and cheery start there. <laughs> we record for three minutes and we're already on nuclear oh, oblivion. We've, we've had a new person at work uh, this week. Um, he's worked in our store before, but um, just like at uh, end of the first day, like um, he said, oh, why is there so, much thing to, so many things to do? And um, I just go, because... Life loves you. It knows that your time on Earth is short and you're going to die eventually, so it's giving you meaningless little jobs to do to keep yourself busy. And he just goes, bit bleak, innit? Yeah, I don't know. I never I should s- have come back to this store. <laughs> yeah, I say it how I see it. <laughs> um, so, I think I'm first this week, aren't I? Song yes. playing-wise. Please, God, may it be a ray of sunshine after. <laughs> Last week was like a counselling session. <laughs> a lovely counselling session. It's a lovely episode. It was quite fun. It's cathartic. But, yeah, it just ended up being like, we're all miserable and we're all terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> um, my song that I wrote in a week, uh, I'll tell the, the kind of odd, you know, way I wrote the song uh, after I play it, but... It's called uh, I'm Gonna Miss You. Aww. I know. It's so sweet. (laughs) Right, this is my song uh, that I wrote in a week, and it's called I'm Gonna Miss You, and it goes like this. I 
I'm gonna miss you when you go Oh, at this point it is nearly inevitable Sometimes I give myself the luxury Of assuming you're going to stay I'm gonna miss you when you go The replacement they found is a pale imitation of you He doesn't care about my weaknesses And does nothing to foster my strength Like you Step out in the road if you like You can turn this plane around With a smile and a touch of your dress We can make them second guess our whole routine <clears throat> He's gonna miss you when you go I'm at a point where the novelty's faded away I sit and contemplate the argument For the faults and the choices you made Where would we be without your recklessness? It's a hell of a life that you made like that okay just uh one little thing i do love in particular and this is going to work really well visually but um just for clarification here roger's two down to d i'm in standard uh so there's one point in the verse where like you've got your e chord your a chord and you got to a b but it looks like you're just holding uh the g d and b strings mm -hmm. and that bit. I always think once you've hammered on, once you've hammered on to that E, you're gonna go oh, to, yeah. to a C sharp minor. So it visually, yeah. it's a little sleight of hand if that's possible in a songwriting format. But I really like that. What I really love about the chords this week is that the chords are mostly diatonic in the verse. You've got a minor four, um, which you know is you know one of our favorite tricks and you've got a major third yeah but but that's like they're both common tricks that don't sound out of place in a diatonic uh sequence and then once you get to the chorus it really helps it sound separate because you're using a few more unusual placements of chords and things it's just really nicely constructed yes yeah it's uh i had uh I had the idea to have a much more simplistic approach to the chords this week, um, sort of because of the surroundings I was in. Um, I've just come back, uh, literally last night, from visiting my brother in Wales, who's just had a daughter, and so we stayed with him for a week, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to write my song in a week, and that's the week while I'm away, so I was like, okay, I'll bring a guitar, but I bought this tiny little blue toy guitar. 
Is it one of those ones you have to like tune four semitones higher or something? Not exactly. It can be in standard, but it's it's ropey at the best times. It's that one. Um, podcast listeners, I'm sure you can see what I'm pointing at. It's like a blue, like half or three quarter scale guitar, and it's like. Well, I think technically my one here is three quarter scale. So I would argue that that's that um, comparison from my three quarters to his. I'd argue it's a half scale. Yeah, so I, I bought that up with me, and uh, it's it's fine to play. But that's all I had. So usually I have an option. I don't know. It feels like you have less options because the fretboard's a lot smaller, so it's much easier to just sort of play your open chords and stuff, you know? Yeah, like it gets a bit crowded when you have to try and do um, uh, like complex inversions and things. Yeah. So you know, I was I was in no position to be writing like complicated riffs or like stuff up the neck particularly. So I was like, okay, I'll have a more simplistic um, approach to this song. And I had been listening, and I still am. I'm obsessed with this one song at the moment called uh, "Fish and Whistle" by John Prine. I've been thinking lately about the people I meet, the car wash on the corner and the hole in the street, the way my ankles hurt with shoes on my feet, and I'm wondering if I'm gonna see tomorrow. Father, forgive us for what we must do. You forgive us, we'll forgive you. We'll forgive each other till we both turn blue. Then we'll whistle and go fishing in heaven. I must admit, I haven't heard that one before. Um, it's uh, I hadn't heard it before this week, um, but it's it's a really simplistic like I don't want to say country, but it uses like those country chords, you know, one four five and all that stuff. Um, so it's a very simplistic song. I was like, that's a really cool way to to approach a song. And uh, you know me, and we, we're both the same. We like to put something a little bit more unusual in, in every song we write, just to sort of try and bring something interesting to the podcast, you know? Yeah, you, you try and tell us to write a song with one chord in it, and we'll probably try and find ways around it. Yeah, exactly. So um, I stole a chord from uh, from my dad. Cause, um, my tut, 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 da- naughty, yeah. naughty. Uh, but I I'll call a- the court police. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> that could be a title. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, uh, I, w- I went to, to Wales with my dad to visit my brother and, and uh, my dad plays guitar as well and um, he was playing this piece he's kind of writing, he's been writing for a little while and he wrote this new part and I thought it was a really interesting change that happened, I'll, I'll, I'll play it as best I can that I can remember it but it's a particular chord he went to as part of the scale. So um, he wrote it in A. I'm tuned down, but for sake of argument, let's say I'm playing in A. So this is the piece. kind of like as far as he got with it um but then two things i mean i was kind of playing it we'd like swap the guitar back and forth and see what we could do with that piece of music Mm. and he came up with pretty much all of it but one thing i liked is that when he goes to the b shape he's not playing the traditional bar chord of b right he's playing he's playing up here so that he's actually got another note on the e string up there and then he can hit the b when he wants to so it's like the it's the top of the G shape essentially. If you consider like um, the best way to explain this for listeners is if you imagine playing a uh, an open G 
you shift that up and use your finger to bar where the open strings would be at any point. Take off uh, E and A, and then yeah. you've got that one there. It's it's a shape I quite like using uh, quite like using for solos because it quite easily matches in with the A shape and the uh, G shape. It gives you a lot of freedom of movement around there. Absolutely. I always think of that shape as I always got to think of that shape as like um, what you call it. I always think of it as like an A, you know, like you got the open A chord and the, so moving it up. And then I had never really like played well, they're, with it. They're, they're one and the same essentially. Like they're yeah. just the A's on the physically further away side and the G's on the physically closer to the body side. That's yeah, good way of putting it. Um, so anyway, I was playing with those suspensions and then um, in the uh, in the bridge part or whatever, um, he goes up to a D seven, and then. The song, for sake of argument, is in A major, right? But he goes to this uh, A flat seven chord, uh, so it's like a semitone down from the root. And I was like, I was like, wow, that's a really cool thing to do. And I, I've seen the um, what is normally the, the diminished chord in a major scale diatonically being used as a major before a major seven or or, or a seven chord. Um, uh, but I hadn't really explored it very much, and I thought it was just a really interesting thing, um, and it just kind of sparked, uh, it caught my ear, and I thought when I was writing mine, I would try and do something similar. So my song's in in E, so in the in the bridge part of my song, I thought I'd go from the four A to the the flattened root, but make it a seven. Uh, same exact thing as what my dad did with his piece of music. Because then that really invites you to that really invites you to go up to. Uh... Your root. Yes, yeah, exactly. So I just thought that was such a cool thing. I mean, you know, we've been writing songs for a, a while now. When you come across a technique that you haven't really seen used very much before, it's exciting. You go, oh, wow, cool, there's like a, a new avenue to explore. It's one of those breakthrough moments where you just, you're mucking around, you try something, you think, I never knew that it could do that. It's like you say, yeah. like when you write something cool into a song, it's like, look what I've discovered music can do. Yeah, yeah, totally. We should have that on a t-shirt at some point. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Would you like to buy t-shirts with the silly things we say on them? No! How? <laughs> um, so, I mean, that was kind of like the only really interesting chord part of it. Um, and then the rest of it, I just want... I thought if I'm going to write something simple, I want to write something more heartfelt, I guess you could say, and uh, something a little bit more uh, honest. Uh, so I just wrote lyrics from the perspective of, uh, and again, I've, I said to you this before, this series, if I get stuck on what to write, I'll kind of go to write from my my perspective as a little boy or my perspective as, as an older man or that sort of thing. And I was going to ask about the shifting perspective because you start um, verse... Uh, you start the first one with like I'm gonna miss you, and then it moves to he's gonna miss you. Mm. So I wondered whether that was two characters on the side of a conversation, or whether that was two perspective from the same person or something. If that makes sense, mm. which you were about to explain, and I interrupted just to try and be like, I'm clever, I noticed. <laughs> no, not at all. That that actually helps my point. Um, it helps me articulate my point. Um, <clears throat> obviously, I, I don't kind of want to get into like who each verse is about, but that's kind of the point in a sense. Um, because I like the idea of it being an open-ended thing for whoever's listening to it to put their own person into the narrative, you know, their own self or their own whoever. Yeah, it can be multiple people, it can be one person, uh, you know, 
it can have several different meanings. Mm. I, I think uh, Kurt Cobain once said, you know, just because I write I in a song, it doesn't mean I'm referring to myself. And I think that's something that stuck with me in terms of like... Yeah, uh, not, not every song is a literal translation, a translation of the precise innermost workings of your head. It can just be how you feel one afternoon or how you imagine someone to feel. Yeah, and that's the that's the that's an exciting thing about songwriting in a way. It's like I find it really interesting and exciting to play with those eyes and he and we and she and they, because like it's up to the listener to to decide. They could draw some assumptions about me for listening to the lyrics, and that's fine. That's that's their prerogative. Because in most things you write, there will be a grain of truth, even if it's like the grain of truth is you oppose the view that you're writing and you're writing it ironically. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a grain of truth in that you despise this sentiment. Like, it does mean something to you. It means something negative. Or, like, um, you know, this isn't the state of how things were, but I wish they could be, or something like that. Mm. This is kind of like, oh, I like, um, everyone makes such a big deal about Bohemian Rhapsody. Everyone goes, like, what's it about? It all means so much stuff. It's, I just think, like, Freddie Mercury probably just wrote, made most of it up because it sounded good. Yeah. There's probably, like, an emotion. There is an emotional meaning to it. But there's probably not like a literal one, if that makes sense. Yeah, I find by... it, it, if you can create lyrics that just have emotional meaning, if they if they've got a literal meaning, that's fantastic as well. But they only need to be emotional. Mm. Yeah, I find Bohemian Rhapsody to be a, a particularly interesting one because it, it is such an emotional song. Um, I think a lot of people have been really moved by it, um, and it's exciting and it's sad and it's melancholy and all. And it's it's comedic as well in the middle. Yeah, exactly. And it's all these things. And I think it's a really good illustration of why I like music. Because the reason I liked music in the first place is because it made me feel something when I was a teenager. You know, I could resonate with it. But that wasn't because of the words I was listening to most of the time. It's because of good riffs or, you know, what I'd learn later because of good chord progressions or something like that. And Bohemian Rhapsody is is a wonderfully melodic song with great chords and great riffs and great production. And the words kind of really don't matter, to me, anyway, you know, that's I'm, obviously well, subjective. We're, we're always making this argument, we're musicians, we're not poets. Yeah. If we can write fantastic poetry, great. But, you know, at the end of the day, we just like making cool noises. Yeah. And that's the that's the kind of thing that, I think that's why I've, I've settled on music as probably my favourite... <clears throat> you know, way to, to be creative or whatever, express yourself, is because it can be so open-ended, like, you can write a song about anything, and people can think it's about you, they can think it's about them, it's so subjective, and... Well, to take something like, um, uh, Harry Nilsson's album, uh, famous one, Nilsson Schmilsson, you've got, I know he didn't write it, but you've got emotional, heartfelt things, like, um, uh, Without You, or, um, Driving Along, or early in the morning, yeah, which has got a particular emotion to it. But then you've also got comedy songs on there, like the Coconut Song. Mm. That's you know, like um, the sheer magnificence of music is that it is just so broad. You can do like a little comedy skit one minute, and then you can break someone's heart the next. Mm. It's you can do that in any medium, but music can do that to you. In an instant. Absolutely. And I think the great thing with music is that there's not such demand for narrative as there would be in a book or a film. Or paintings can be abstract, but in a sense they're more on the on the they're on the more abstract 
end of the spectrum, whereas films and books are on the more literal, and music is somewhere in the middle, but it can be abstract, and I think that's what's so cool about it. Yeah, there's there's no need to find meaning. Like, in most paintings, because it's entirely visual, you'll be looking for representations of things. Mm. You'll be looking for meaning in the images, even if it's just, like, paint splattered onto a canvas. You'll try and find meaning as to why the paint has been splattered on the canvas. Was the artist having a bad day or something, or... Is this meant to represent some shit or other? Whereas with music, you can literally just do things for a laugh. Yeah. And it's fine. Well, I think that goes for painting as well. I think a lot of paintings... I mean, obviously people prescribe meaning to to paintings, but I think a lot of paintings are just people... It's pure expression. It's people just going, paint a thing, you know, and that's yeah. fine. That's a good thing. But with music, it's like a great balance between emotional resonance and narrative and also craft. There's craft. You can't just, like... Passion versus structure, essentially. Yeah, and a good song to me is like something that balances that heavy emotion with, you know, years of craft. Like people go with the Beatles, like they go, oh, Beatles were on drugs, you know, that's why they wrote all these LSD lucids. Well, they, like, ne- they were <clears throat> never on Beatles, uh, never on Beatles, they were never on drugs in the studio, though. Right, exactly. And also the other thing is, yes, they took drugs at points. Uh, you like, know, there are songs about but... drugs, like She Said, She Said, but it's written from you know, a sober man's perspective of being high. Yeah. And how disorientating it is. John Lennon didn't, like, uh, take LSD and then sit down and just going, she said, she said, I know what it's like to be dead. I I mean, what I was going to say is that, like, they they had years of writing, you know, um, and honing their craft and, like, becoming good craftsmen. And then, you know, the psychedelics were introduced and that maybe you know, uh, it affected their that. songwriting definitely. Yeah, but but they had songwriting to be affected, you know, by you know. I mean, this is kind of the argument I always make. I love the later Beatles stuff. I'm a later Beatles fan. Everything from Rubber Soul onwards is nearly perfection for me, apart from White Album. But I've vented my thoughts about that in other places. Uh, but you wouldn't get that stuff if they weren't masters of writing pop songs. Yeah, because the early years are pop songs. Yeah. But they are some of the most well-written pop songs you'll find. Yeah, I agree. I, I... We are literally living up to our mission statement of just, like, <laughs> rambling about the Beatles now. <laughs> but it's like, I, I think if you're... Uh, obviously, it's so subjective, and it depends what kind of music you fancy making, and that's everyone's own prerogative, so whatever. But for me, if I was going to start songwriting now, I would probably want to go towards pop music, you know, mainstream pop music, rather than psychedelic, like... Grateful Dead type of music because although the Grateful Dead type of music is trippy and it's colourful and everything it doesn't have the structure and the craft that like ABBA does and I think I think you kind of need that if you want to later on go to the psychedelic route well this is kind of, um, there's this great interview with Frank Turner um, which I think I've shown you before where he's talking about his songwriting with another podcast and he says something about, oh, you can have all this trippy stuff. You can say, oh, my song's written in 12.9 and it's in this mode and this stuff like that. And he just says, well, my answer to that will be fine. I still don't like it, though. Right, yeah. Like, you know, you've, you can't just be trippy and weird and things like that for the sake of it. That can't just be your end goal. Mm. This is like the whole thing I have when I have problems with metal bands is when they all do drop D riffs and they try and be harder than everyone else for, you know, just for the sake of being harder than everyone else. Yeah. Like we're the heaviest band <laughs> who existed. Cool. 
do you have any good songs? Yeah. Because <laughs> if the answer's no, then you need to think about what you're doing. That goes yeah. for every form of music. I'm not just saying that about metal. Like Every form of music has that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I just I think it's got to be something... Um, there's got to be some substance to it, basically. Yeah. There's got to be a backbone of actual songwriting to a thing. Which is... It's a good test when you go back to, like, being diatonic and just sticking in one key scale mostly and, you know, trying to simplify things. Can you still write an enduring melody? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think in a way music is a meritocracy in the sense that the most enduring and timeless stuff is largely, there are exceptions, <laughs> largely the best written stuff, the people who have explored. Because it's like, it's like learning anything. You, you learn a skill set when you write songs. You learn that, oh, these chords seem to sound good. I wonder why. And then there's like a kind of this theory behind it of why it does. I wonder if you can go outside of the scale. And I'm not saying you have to be like that, but... I think the best songwriters are my favourite, particularly, or the most uh, timeless ones that get mentioned all the time. They had some kind of backbone of um, of theory and structure and, and a discipline to them. And they can make that just appealing on any level without having to go, oh, yes, I noticed there's a diminished sharp ninth in there. Mm. Like, um, example I always use... Well, I, example I'm going to say I always use, uh, but, you know, the chord sequence to uh, Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic. Go and check out what chords are in that verse, because that's a weird song. Mm. But you never think about it when it's being played. Oh, man, those are my favourite ones. It's like the, the songs that aren't like... What I don't like, i tell you what I don't like. People always... Uh... That's a lie, people don't always tell me this one. Yeah, that's the thing, people... like, you just got into the habit of saying, oh, I always do this, people always tell me that. It's like, <laughs> maybe told you once. <laughs> yeah, but uh, a band I don't particularly care for, who I know are fantastic, I'm not at all knocking this band, is uh, like a band like Snarky Puppy. You know that band? Uh... I think I may have heard one of their albums. But it's like a real musician's band. Musicians for musicians, like, like loads you, if of you crazy... Saw, if you saw them live, you go, man, they're talented. Yes, exactly. They're talented and they've got these crazy time signatures and chords and everything, but for me, it doesn't do anything for me emotionally. And what does do something for me emotionally, it's like a middle ground between, like, Bob Dylan three-chord songs and Snarky Puppy. It's like this thing where, like you said, with, like, ABBA or Queen or whoever it is, like, these people who, like, they write pop music that you can turn on the radio and hear it and go oh that's a great tune but you look at the chords and you go that's why it got me emotionally yeah you know because like it the, has something to it it's something a bit different mm. and and the, the difference thing i think isn't um it's not a case of like oh look how different we are look how sweet. it's like the point of that stuff is that it makes you feel a certain thing it's a trick like with music we have two tools really it's the sound and the time of the song and if you can give people a sound where you where they go, what was that? That's a, you're doing a good job. That's that's all I mean. It's not like you're some kind of uh, yeah, morally superior person. It's just a cooler thing to hear. Yeah, just to like say again, as we always say, you can just write a good three chord song and have some great lyrics. There's loads of punk that's like that. That's you know considered very very good. Totally. So that doesn't mean you know doesn't mean that's all you can do. You can stick complicated chords in there, but just if it makes everything work. Yeah. How did we get onto this topic? <laughs> I don't know, but I like it. I like it. This oh, is all great. Like when we when we eventually do like a vinyl and whiskey episode, this is like what it's going to be like. I hope so. Yeah, that will be fun. We are going to have to arrange one of those, just like mm. in the downtime or something. I'd like that. Would be nice. <coughs> but um, no, that was a great little tale we had there. Um, I think I've described the song I wrote. Yeah. 
I think, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Really. I don't think I've got anything else to add, but I do really like that. Like, Thank you. It's sort of separated up very cleanly in the sense of like, you know when the chorus has kicked in. Mm. Like you do run into a risk sometimes of just listening to a song and you're just waiting for the chorus to kick in. It's been three minutes and it's ended. It's like, oh, oh, okay. Um, all the right. bits are in there and you have to think, okay, so that was that, that was that, that was that, that was that. Mm. But yeah, it's just really nicely structured and really well built. Thank you. And a great melody. Well, that's the thing I like about, and uh, this will be my last point on, on my song, but that's the thing I like about 50s rock and roll or 50s like doo-wop or what have you or... Uh, that sort of thing is the chorus and the verses are very well defined you know when each thing ends and begins and i think there's a certain accessibility to that yeah say what you like about 12 bar blues but you know where you are structured <laughs> yeah you know where it's going to fall back to the one um yeah but that's pretty much all i can say about my song this week well that was really nice thank you cool so um i have a song this week it is called shape my days this is how it goes hopefully Bye. 
between my good and my bad days. Lock them out. Great. <clears throat> really, really good song. I like that. Cheers. I was making some of those words up because I cannot read my own writing. <laughs> oh. That's great. I, uh... It's probably my favourite of yours from this run so far. Oh, thank you. And uh, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just like being a dick. Um, and uh, the bit I like the most is the bit where it's on a A sharp chord there and it goes up to... It's like a bridge part before it resolves. You know what I mean? What the... Um, Love well, it, it's great. Well, the way that came about is, oh, it's diminished chords again. Um, but I wanted this week to sort of try and write a song without any um, weird chords in it, mm -hmm. like to be completely diatonic. Uh, so, a long story of how I got to that chord, but I'll just keep on with it. I was uh, just wanted to write something in E flat just because I like that key scale because mm -hmm. I can push up to F if I really need to and make myself sound really clever within that context um, and I was just hammering on that for ages like you said before like if you're stuck for something just hammer on your route if you run out of fun go to the one I'm going to nick that for future <laughs> use but yeah um just trying to come up with something for that. Ended up with that, mm -hmm. uh, which for those of you who can't tell what those are, so that's uh, the middle of a B flat chord. So that's, uh, if you imagine a barred B flat, that's the D, G, and B. Move your um, essentially E, e flat major seven and then to a G minor so I had that for something and then that's just an F minor moving with a D and an E flat on it uh, moving up to an A flat doing the same thing originally that was a bit different that was going to be um, So that was on the F moving from C to D and then on the A flat from D to E flat. Uh, so that's how that developed. I thought it sounded nicer just keeping that constant. Mm. And I realised, well, I haven't really done a fully fledged five in this song at all. So I think for the chorus, that would be just quite nice to suddenly go to the... Because mm -hmm. then you're instantly waiting for it to uh, resolve to the one. Mm, yeah, yeah. So for a long time... Uh, when I say a long time in the context of writing the song, I wrote it in the last two days. So for about an hour, uh, uh, it was just another bit of melody. I'm so glad you added the extra bit. So am I. Uh, so for well, I want some development. So I thought. For that, there was a C minor in between those. Yeah. 
and it's okay. Didn't Something. Get, yeah. But it sort of felt you're taken away from the power of that five. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, if I'm staying diatonic, what does a diminished chord sound like? Because, uh, yeah, I just thought that sounds pretty dope. So I put that in. <laughs> That's great. I, it's it's, and it's it also, cool that it was like a... Sorry to interrupt, but it's cool that it was a last-minute decision because it's such a signature part of the song, in my head, anyway. Well, it enabled me to create that melody because I had no idea what I was going to do for the second half of that. And then I got to... And I thought, well, I can push an F so I can just reach the top note of that. So the melody for that was like... So the melody for that was like... Which is then like running down the diminished. Yeah. To resolve on the third. That's great. Um, yeah, so that... And that main um, melody, which I screwed up a couple of times because I'm not the best singer in the world, but it was just based on like strumming around with that E flat. What I'm doing with that is it's uh, one on D, three on G, four on B. So it's like a D shape, but without the third in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was sort of, when I was like just strumming on that, I was originally just going between major and minor, uh, mm-hmm. major seven and major. I can't talk today. Uh, but I just... That was a part of it for ages, and then it just developed to. Mm. <clears throat> Which as informs the melody, because the melody is then just. Yeah. It's a lovely thing this song does a lot, which I think gives it such a flavour, is it has so many cool suspensions where you add a, add a note, take a note off to a particular chord, and it creates this lovely sort of like Blondie-esque punk rock feel to me. I'm so glad you said Blondie. That's not where I would have put the song, but I'm glad to know that you think it comes there. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's one of the things when you, you're limited to writing diatonically, you can either really focus on the melody or you can like put loads of suspensions in there to create an interesting chord sequence, which will then hopefully suggest a more a melody with more movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only different bit is the bridge, which was just starting on the F, uh, F minor, and I thought we haven't really done anything with the low because that's the only G minor in there. We haven't really done anything with yeah. that, so it just ends up being. Which is just putting the uh, G bass on top of that F minor chord, taking away the third. So that's a lovely movement. But then that works quite nicely. I've only literally just realised this as I'm speaking to you now. Mm. But you've got the F minor to that sort of G chord to C minor, which is mm. the first part of that bridge. Mm-hmm. So it's like you've got four, five, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've moved essentially to the minor scale for the bridge and then back to major for the um, uh, for the chorus. I had no idea I'd done that. Huh. But um, yeah, that bridge is just C minor, 
C minor with B flat in the bass, with A flat in the bass, and then just A flat, which leads you quite nicely into that bit. Mm -hmm. So that's how the chords came about for that. Very well constructed, the whole thing. Um, it's great. It's really cool. Really cool chord work, especially with the fact that you wrote diatonically and you still managed to get something that um, isn't easily recognisable. You know, usually when you write, uh, not you, but one, usually when one person writes uh, <clears throat> diatonically, you can kind of go, yeah, I can kind of see what's going on here. But with that, it's, I think it kind of, it's partly because of your suspensions and partly because you're writing an E flat. It's like, it's harder to sort of gauge where you are in, in terms of the uh, Roman numeral numbers of the scale. Well, this is a beautiful thing about being a Queen fan. If you learn any of their songs, particularly the piano songs, you tend to end up playing in A-flat, B-flat or E-flat. Right. Uh, so that, I started on piano first and then I moved over to guitar. So that's factored into, like, I'm not the best at soloing in, like, E-flat or B-flat or A-flat, but I can do it reasonably comfortably. Sure. Whereas I know, like, the minute you go from E minor to E flat minor, I know a lot of people just suddenly can't handle that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas you're like, go and they go. And everyone's going, like, but I don't know, I don't understand. Yeah. It's not on the dots. <laughs> it's not on the dots. Um, and yeah, but my goal in writing diatonically was to try and do like a bit of a Dave Grohl effect where when he writes diatonically he doesn't necessarily stick to like one four five six because if you look at chord sequences like um times like these D A minor uh, C to E minor and then for the chorus it's not a standard chord sequence, but it's standard chords. Mm -hmm. Same thing with um, My Hero. It's just C sharp minor to E, and then e, A to E. It doesn't mm. actually use the fifth in that song at all. Hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah, it's unusual to not use the five because it's, it's such a pivotal chord, you know? It usually takes you to the one. Yeah, but... Um, that was my god, I was like playing a load of Dave Grohl songs and just thinking like, well, I really want to try and come up with something simple, but that doesn't sound like anything else. And I'm very glad that you sort of said that. Yeah, no, I think you achieved it, big time. So uh, can you think of anything to say about the lyrics that you'd like to say? Um, yeah. As always, no obligation on this show. Uh, well, it's fine. Um... But yeah, uh, this was a theme of last week's song, and I think the, uh, song number one. But I have had the feeling of being stuck in a rut for a while. And so a lot of my songs this run will probably be reflections on that. I'm just warning you now. Uh, <laughs> don't expect me to suddenly like cheer the fuck up next week or anything. <laughs> but uh, I was just like... It was like the last day before... Uh, last free day I had to try and write the song. I was having a bit of a good day, got a new phone, uh, got all my chores done nice and early, like uh, done the washing up and you know put the clothes on the dryer and everything, that's all going to be fine. Watching a few Hitchcock films, so they're great. And then I realised I had a letter waiting for me and um, 
I'm not going to try and make this too much of a sob story, but basically in November I was attacked at work. And, uh, you know, a guy got arrested for it and um, I had to make, you know, witness statement, all of that. Mm. Not a great day, but I can laugh about it. It's all fine. I'm still here, essentially. Yeah. No one died. No one got hurt. Uh, and I basically just received a letter saying, oh, yeah, well, um, this is actually going to a hearing now. So these are the details and everything. I thought... I was having such a nice day as well, <laughs> uh, which is why that whole is that's basically just the first verse. I've drawn a line between my good and my bad days, uh, locked them out. It's kept me around, and all I need is a letter to knock me out. Right. I was wondering what the letter line was about. Because uh, you could have put another two syllable word there if you were talking more broadly about something that could bring you back to a negative, negative space. I was like, why is it a letter? And now I know. Now you know. Which is then, like, part two of that verse is where I, I started to read, it gives me a reference to myself. All right. So it will say, like, oh, this was done like that, he insulted this person, this person, this, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And uh, yeah, there's always, like, a little line, like, oh, if you need anyone to talk to at this period, like, do give us a call and everything. Mm. Drop me a line if you feel this is testing for yourself. Um, and then the last two chorus, uh, last two lines of the second verse are basically just repeats of the themes from last week, like locked in my room, away from the sun and the heat right. and everything. And then sort of that thing where you, do you ever like catch yourself in conversation? Maybe lying's too strong a word for it, but like exaggerating stories. Oh yeah. We so, all do that. Yeah, we all do it to a degree, but like you'll have the thing of like, uh, like you'll nearly hit something on the road. You'll all be fine. It'll just be a momentary thing. Maybe the driver will give you a funny look. And then by the end of the week, it's going, yeah, he was coming out of nowhere. And then when he drove off, he gave me the finger. <laughs> like kind of thing like that. Like yeah, yeah. you always exaggerate these stories to make yourself either seem more impressive or... You know, more victimized. Or more victimized. Yeah, that was the word I was looking for. So that's just what that's about. I like that. Yeah, we we definitely do all do that. Um, and then sometimes that's a good uh, component in a song because if you tell the events exactly how they happened, sometimes it's not as poetic or grandiose as they could be if you, yeah. you know, lyric it up. But then the uh, the bridge is just about waiting for. Well, it's literally the last line. I guess I've been waiting for some force to act upon me, waiting for a savior or Satan. Like, uh, I, I, I quite enjoy life when I've got something good acting upon me, or like everything's going to shit. Right. Like, I don't enjoy it at the time, but I enjoy it retrospectively because I then have things to do. Yes. And I enjoy <clears throat> wasting that time. <laughs> <laughs> like the amount of time when I was trying to move up to Bristol, I spent just watching video essays on YouTube is insane. Um, but then the core, I'm really going in depth. I never this is do good. this. This is good. This is an uh, inside look at Declan Kitchener, folks. Yeah. That's good. We were calling last week a therapy session. But uh, one thing that sort of stuck with me a little bit, when the police came back to my workplace a week after uh, the attack happened, mm. it was me and two other people. And basically, we were because no one had died, nothing had been stolen, you know, nothing was damaged, and you know the guy had been caught and apprehended and everything. We were all just joking about with it, like um, 
you know, oh, it made the end of the week fun kind of thing. Like, right. oh, you know, we should have a shotgun behind the tool just in case this happens <laughs> again. Like doing silly little things like that. Yeah. Um, and it just, uh, I think the police officer who was there, she sort of said, oh, it's good to see that you're joking about this because not, a lot, you know, some people may not. And it's, uh, you know, it's perfectly natural to feel down and everything. But we were just like joking around, laughing our asses off about it. So that's why the lines of this one are, I wanted proper responses, not merely looking to waste my time away. You know, I've only been laughing at the memories moments that shape my days. It's great. It's uh, it's one of those ones where, like, again, kind of like we were talking about before, where like you can hear a set of lyrics and you kind of put your own stuff onto it. You can't help but do that, you know, when you hear a set of lyrics. But then when you explain the events that led up to this set of lyrics and how they, and what pertains to them, uh you get a much clearer thing of like, oh, the letter. That actually is a real letter that existed, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Well, it's like we were saying before, it can just be metaphorical. I could have literally just said I made all of this up and it would still be as valid as it is otherwise. Yeah. Uh, but seeing as I asked you this question about my lyrics in the first week of this podcast, uh, did you put any particular meaning on them beforehand? Because ah. you were sort of saying you read into them a little bit. This section of the show, eh? Yeah. What does Roger the think of the Gary lyrics? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, you were sort of saying you were putting your own thoughts on it and you were questioning some aspects of it. So what were you thinking when you were... Well, it's it's always very vague because it's always the first listen. It's yeah, literally you, the first time I've heard the song. Yeah, um, like you, you can only have like room for one or two comments unless yeah. like, you've literally got one chord and all you've got to listen to is the words. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean... I basically thought it was, um, so it's, it's kind of, what I'm about to say is kind of coloured by what you've said, because you've just told me what the song's about, so it was kind of hard to go back to the place of, like, listening then, but I thought it was kind of about what last week's song was about, to some extent, you know, just like, uh... Well, like I say, there's elements of it, of that in there, that's the second verse. I thought it was about, sort of, um, you coming from Cornwall and then separating those days in Cornwall from your days in Bristol, something to do with that as a general topic. Um, but it's kind of more late last year to this year, I suppose, that line that you drew, is it? Now that you say that, I can see that. Huh, okay. Because, I mean, whenever you move to somewhere else, you literally can't help but build a little bit of a barrier between places. Of course. Like, uh, you know, I'm a different person when I'm at home with my parents and in my hometown, just because, you know, I grew up there. I spent quite a lot of time getting known as a certain kind of person there. If you know, you mm. know, just you know, because people have seen you grow up through the years and everything. All your old friends will have come from there. There'll be certain expectations of you. Yeah. Uh, same thing. If I was to probably go back to High Wycombe, where I went to university, I'd probably be quite a different person again mm-hmm. uh, compared to where I am now in Bristol. Mm. So I can see where you're coming from. It's really interesting. I should write a song about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's really cool sometimes where, I'm not saying this is what happened with yours, but um, where I'll write a song about something, like a particular time, like I could tell you on the podcast, it's about this thing that happened to me. And then later on in the year, I can listen to it and go, oh my God, there's actually elements of what happened the previous year in this song. Uh, or at least that's how I read it now. Um, sometimes I address things without really meaning to. Well, it's kind of... Uh, a benefit of writing emotional like we were saying earlier, writing emotional truths is that it can be applied to different situations Hmm. I mean I could have wrote that song just going 
I was attacked and the guy was arrested <laughs> by the cops. And, you know, it would be... fits. <laughs> I was struggling so hard to make that last bit for that. But, um, but, yeah, it that's very specific. Yeah. And there are writers who can write very specific things that I really love. Like, I've mentioned it before, James Vecalotti from Death of Anna. Mm. He can write ultra-specific lyrics. And yeah. they've still got an emotional truth that rings out to everybody. But that's not necessarily what that's about. That's about the emotion of just realising good days, bad days, lines between things. And that's, I think... Not to say that I was... <laughs> not to say that I'm thinking about, oh, it's going to be mainstream, it's going to be this, that, the other. Because I'd never think like that. But it just feels a bit more... What I... You know, something that I could convey, if that... You know, something specific to me, but that can be felt by other people. Oh, absolutely. If that makes sense. That makes perfect sense to me, because that's what my song's like. I mean, my song's about specific things that happen to me, but I'm not going to spell them out, because, A, it's not very good. Like you said, with the, yeah. the cops came and stuff, like, those aren't as good lyrics as the yeah. metaphorical interpretation of those events. Yeah, it's, it's not true emotionally, because the song's not about being attacked it's about being reminded of of you know what we might term bad days yeah yeah it's uh and and then also i mean the other great thing about that is because you're not writing the cops came and this happened specifically other people can now listen to that song and go oh man i've been having a bad period where i want to separate this period from the previous period and draw a line and then because it's uh vague enough lyrically they can do that Whereas yeah. if it was specifically about your experiences, they'd be like, I don't know, I can't really put myself into this. Yeah, that's the thing. Anyone who's listened to this uh, podcast now can't have that experience. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> that's copyright. Oh, it's, well, it's kind of the thing, like, um, once you explain something, you can't see it any other way sometimes. Like, there's that famous story of everyone thinks every breath you take is a love song, and Stinger said many, many times, like, no, it's a song about stalking someone, read the lyrics. Right. And then you sort of, once you get that in your head, you think, oh yeah, that is kind of messed up. <laughs> yeah. There are a few of those songs, and I think they, they garner attention for for good reason, because it, it's kind of like what we were talking about before, like a, a song is emotionally resonant for the reason that it's it sounds sweet or it sounds sad but then the lyrics can be something else and sometimes people will focus quite a lot on the lyrics or vice versa and when the two kind of are at odds with each other people are like oh my god did you hear what that song's actually about yeah you can make that beautifully like clear and effective uh with emotional uh you know that emotional dissonance between what you're feeling and what you're hearing mm. um I'm trying to think of a specific example. Yeah, I was trying as well. I couldn't think of a... But comedy songs tend to be quite good about that. Like, uh, mm. for example, Inflatable You by Tim Minchin. It's very classy. It's got loads of sixth chords. It's on the piano in a jazz style. It's about uh, a blow-up porn doll. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, because it's a comedy song, it works at creating that emotional distance. But you can use that in a in inverted commas serious context as well. Mm. Well, I, th I think that's, that's one of the reasons, like, um, again, unfortunately, no specific examples, but, like, I think something that does quite well on YouTube, for example, is when somebody takes, like, a well-known song, a happy song, and they put sad chords underneath it, and people go, oh, it's, it's the sad version, because what the chords you put underneath something 
change the emotional tone of it. It's like one thing I lo- I'm not a huge jazz fan. But one thing I love about jazz is a reharmonization. Like they could take Happy Birthday or Somewhere Over the Rainbow, for example. And uh, there's a guy who does this on YouTube. It's great. And like they'll show you what the real chords are, the diatonic chords, and they'll go, "Well, I'm going to change the four for." Uh, diminished whatever and it changes the whole tone of the song the emotional resonance of the song well there's a semi-famous story of um uh the sherman brothers when they were writing the music for um, mary poppins originally chim chimney uh chim chimney chin chin drew was very like uh sort of slavic it was kind of like a folk song but mm. like a hungarian <clears throat> folk song or something uh, if you listen to the original demo, it's a bit more clearer. But then they sort of reharmonize the bass to make it sound like more like an English musical thing, and it really worked. And it's, mm. it then became the standout song of the film, arguably. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's kind of like where the fun of it comes in. I think uh, you you know I, I don't know how, if anybody else knows this, but I've done some hip hop production, and one thing I kind of learned from that, which was really cool, is like if you take even something like, because uh, I've done remixes like Wu-Tang Clan or whatever, or uh, Notorious B.I.G. A lot of these tend to end up on your winter tapes, don't they? Yeah. And when you remix them, like, if you listen to the original of, like, say, for example, uh, Notorious B.I.G.'s Juicy or something, it's all kind of, like, based on one chord, you know, just, like, one rep- repetitive loop, like a lot of hip-hop is, which is cool. And then, but if you kind of, like, remove the beat and keep the a cappella, and then you put piano chords underneath... Like, the, the different lyrics in the song will take on different um, emotional meaning, uh, depending on which chord you put underneath. And I think that's kind of a cool songwriting thing to learn, is that you can change how a certain word feels. Like, you could say, you know, tomato ketchup in a song, and put it under, like, a really sad minor four chord, and it'll sound really sad. Now, how stupid is that? It's tomato ketchup. It shouldn't be a sad topic. <laughs> you want to do it now? Ketchup, 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 ketchup. <laughs> Are you here to solve my ketchup problem? <laughs> it's weird, though, isn't it? It is a bit, yeah. But it's, it's. Once you learn that, it's kind of like you think, oh wow, I can, you know, that's so useful. I can use it in so many different contexts. Mm. Because I know I've written songs in the past on the podcast where you have a melody. Uh, like, but then you can um, change the chords under that to have really different meanings. So, for example, you could do... I don't lie between my good and my bad days. Mm. Sort of. It's not necessarily better, but it does change how you feel about it. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a cool thing to, to play around with. Um, yeah, I, I suppose that's kind of a good... If I could talk to younger me, songwriter, I'd go, that's a good tip. Just like try playing songs you already know and like by other people, but change the chords and like see what happens if you put a different uh, note for the bass in the in the root of the chord or... Change that major to a minor. It probably won't work most of the time, but sometimes you'll get these really weird results. Well, changing up the bass notes is one of our favourite little tricks, particularly when we're on the piano. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're better at that than I am. I generally tend to stick to either roots or fifths of the chords I'm playing. I was going to say, you tend to play one and five as the bass of a chord on the piano. I tend to play like an octave. Yeah. uh, Which probably makes it a wee bit easier. Well, you, you you have bigger hands than I do. I think that's really one of the main reasons. I can do an octave, but it hurts. <clears throat> that's the thing. I sort of 
the reason why I do that is because when I was starting out on piano, I wanted to play loads of Queen songs. Yeah. And uh, all of the tab, all the piano sheets that I found online had the bass in octaves. Right. For, so when I was only learning Queen songs, I just got into that habit right. to the point where I can sort of do things like um, Death on Two Legs to r- bass riff on that mm. in an octave on my left hand. Right, right. Uh, you know, I'm not the speediest person ever, but, um, you know, it's it's gotten to be a habit that I just impart that to every other song that I do now. Yeah. Uh, or I sometimes use it for effect. Like, um, I think there's one of the... One, I can't remember what episode it was, but... The only ones I wrote on piano, where I just use verse one, or pause is a good example of this as well, where verse one will be single note bass, verse two is octave note bass, and you, ah. you've suddenly got a bit more oomph to it. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's an interesting thing, because you, you tend to incorporate parts of your playing from your early days, that, like you have formative years as, as a player or as a writer, Yeah. and... Uh, but having said that, when I'm recording piano, because like I say, I can't really do the octaves with my left hand so well, but if I'm overdubbing piano, I'll usually overdub a lower octave for piano because you get that thicker sound, don't you? And yeah. It's almost theatre-esque in a sense. It's almost sort of like a honky-tonk because a honky-tonk is sort of the equivalent of a 12-string guitar. Almost, yeah, in yeah. It's got the higher um, overtone there. So it's almost like having a 12-string guitar. Wait, is a honky-tonk... Like, if you press one note, does it play different octaves of that note but with just one note? Because that would be a cool instrument if that isn't what it is. It isn't what it is. I think it's just got more harmonic overtones. Bear in mind, I'm not, like, an expert or anything. I, 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 have, spe- no, I, I have no idea what makes a honky-tonk different to a piano. But I always feel that you get a more, like, harmonic richness from a honky-tonk. Yeah, I feel like that, too. As opposed to a piano, too. which is very pure. But how cool would that be? I wonder if that exists. Like, you hit... A note, and then because of the three strings on a piano... Let's patent it! One's like an octave, lower, one's the regular note, and one's like a high, like, mandolin string type of thing. How cool tell, would that be? Tell you what would be kind of cool. is if you had, like, uh, an extra pedal. So, like, your default is, like, you've got your note and your higher octave because they don't tend to get in the way too much. Yeah. And then you can press that pedal for special occasions uh, to add, like, the lower octave. And, like, in. the lower strings come up when you press the pedal. And yeah. And you go, oh, that'd be well good. Jesus, the amount of engineering that would be needed to make this piano work would be insane, but we should do it. I was at this, um, when I was in Wales, I went to this, um, like, antique shop, and uh, there was this instrument there. It was, like a, it was like a zither, but smaller. I don't know what it was called, but, like, it had four strings, a collection of four strings, and then a gap, and then another collection of four strings, and each thing was a chord, and then each of these four strings would have this thick bass note, and then three ones doing, like, the right hand of the piano, like the the triad of, of a major chord, or a minor chord, and um, it was kind of like an auto harp, but it had this great sound where you plucked it, because you got the low note as well. So something like that on a piano would be really cool to have. That would be pretty cool. Because that's what, kind of one thing I do miss about having to do these entirely on guitar now is that you it's more difficult to get that bass mm. experience uh or sort of like having contrary motion or different things together yeah because just by the physical limitations of a guitar unless you tune down yeah that's your lowest note yeah yeah which is nowhere near the lowest note on the piano exactly. you may not necessarily need to go down there but it's yeah. nice to be able to I mean, I completely agree, and I miss that too, but having said that, what I found is, because I demo my songs a little bit more broadly than just, like, acoustic guitar in front of the mic, like we play on the podcast. Well, you do it properly, and I don't. 
Well, only because I have the means to, but mm-hmm. one thing I've noticed is if I can write a song which I feel is, like, uh, structurally sound and, like, you know, has good chordal movement to it, once I add in a bass line, it just comes alive because it's been missing that all this time. Well, this is something that uh, we sort of found when we've been recording my songs uh, before because what we've tended to do for the... These are the recordings you can find on my SoundCloud. But um, what we've tended to do is just I play the song roughly on either an acoustic guitar or piano, but to a click track, mm. and then I put the drums on. But because I'm not the greatest drummer in the world, it ends up sounding a bit sloppy and a bit uneven and, you know, not necessarily as professional as you might hope. Mm. Uh, apart from that one time that you played drums on a song and it was fucking awesome. There's a lot of swearing in this episode. Um, but the minute you put the bass in there, it all gels together. That's that's quite unique to you, though, um, in, in the sense of, like, well, I've only ever produced myself and you, um, produced in inverted commas. Anyway, um, but the thing is, like, with me... I can play properly, so it's not an issue. No, no, no not at all, not at all. It's like, I'll make sure, and we're getting into sort of, like, production jargon here, but, like, what I'll do quite often with, like, recording drums, if I'm going to record bass afterwards is I'll make sure my kick drums all syncopate with where generally the bass notes are going to be. Whereas when I recorded you you playing drums for your songs, you had a different approach where you'd have kick drums kind of doing their own thing. And I was like listening to you going like, I wonder how this is going to work with the bass. And I was like, I don't know. And then you put the bass down and the bass was in different syncopated places to where the kick drum fell. And it still worked. And it even gelled a little better. And it was like one of those things where you see someone else working and you you get something else from it you wouldn't get yourself. You steal their technique. But you know the reason why that is? It's because I'm the world, one of the world's worst drummers. I can only do like a basic beat. Like I don't know how well this is going to come through, but... I hope you can hear my foot um, stomping with that. But what I tend to do is I tend to play drums to a melody. So... Yeah. Uh, um... I'll have it like basic pattern, but I'll fix the melody around it if that makes sense. So it's like if you know my song, the plan, do 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 do. So like, mm. do, 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 do. like it's in t- it's played in time with the melody, but not with the bass. So the yeah. bass sort of fills the space between that, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's funny because when you describe that, that's what I do too, in a sense. But it's like, again, I'm I'm not a great drummer, but um, one thing I like about the drummer I'm working with at the moment, Hitty Sticks, is he'll... Oh, he's amazing. He'll do this great thing, which is sort of my approach to recording drums, which is basically like the melody of the song is kind of like the kick. I'm contradicting myself, I'm aware, but the melody of the song, the vocal melody, is like, the kick will do that, but then the bass will kind of, like, it all locks in, when it's done well, it locks in like a puzzle, and he's very good at kind of, like, uh, being good, <laughs> I can't actually He's good at being good. He He's good at, uh, my words are gone. Doing the vocal melody and the bass line in one drum beat, essentially, which is really cool. It just makes for such a nice production. He is, like, really good, though. He's insane. We keep saying this every time that you mention him, but he is sensational. I want to give him a plug, actually, just real quick. If if you record and you're listening to this and you want, like, affordable, good drums, look up Hitty Sticks online. 
Um, he does it all remotely. You send him a song, and he sends like the most amazing rock or gospel drums back to you. Uh, one, if you want to see how good he is, I'd recommend listening to something like Billy's Courage or The Grand Old Market. Yeah, it sort of shows off his variety and his ability to keep time because no one can keep time to that Billy's Courage <laughs> yeah. riff except you and him. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the perfect combo. <laughs> um, no, that was that was really cool. Um, and he plays all through uh, next week in Munster if you want to give him a full on listen. And uh, he's got his own Instagram, I Facebook. Does he have a YouTube page? Oh yeah, he's got it all. He's yeah. he's like a, a social media wizard as well as being a. Uh, a fantastic drummer but yeah check him out he is good yeah absolutely um, do you have anything else you want to say about your song no I think I think we left that topic of conversation behind a long time ago uh, no nothing else to say about that one but thank you for your comments on it yeah no I really like it it's great so uh, we actually have um, an email uh, we have uh, a song uh, which uh, Simone Rochelle has sent in and uh, we're going to uh, link her stuff down her YouTube and Facebook and all that stuff. All the fun stuff. All the fun stuff in the description. Uh, so we're going to take a listen to Simone Rochelle's song, There Is No Cure. Here it is. The warmth of your smile Just one There is no cure by Simone Rochelle. Oh, that is really good. What I quite like is that it is 
it is a very um, limited chord sequence, but it's almost hypnotic, and it doesn't matter because you've got that powerful voice there. It's yeah. Just, it sort of gets you in a trance, to, uh, so that when you get to the help me bit where it's just changing the chords. Yeah, up, I like that bit. It sort of brings you up to it and sort of like realize, makes you realise sort of how focused in you've become. Definitely. It's um it's a very like it's one it's one of those mixes I really like that's just two well recorded things together. You know, a lovely guitar sound and a lovely vocal. And uh like you say, you do kind of get drawn in. I kind of like the whole time we listened to the song I was just kinda of, like staring and listening and uh it's great. It's really um immersive and that's yeah. you know, that's a compliment, it's great. Not necessarily flashy because you feel it's lacking something, it's just what needs to be there is there. Exactly. And what needs to be there isn't necessarily a lot. Exactly. And I wouldn't like to speculate about what the song is about, but I imagine it has some kind of emotional weight for Simone. And I think if it had, like, you know, chords and diminished and jazz chords all over the place, it kind of wouldn't have the same resonance as it does. Well, it's sort of of a counterpoint to the things we were saying earlier. Like, if you... Well, it's kind of the argument that your song this week was sort of based around. Um, If you're going back to just simple chords in that sort of uh, diatonic way, you feel a sort of responsibility to be a bit more truthful in whatever sense that is, whether that's truthful in writing the best melody you can or truthful in putting out an emotion that's a bit closer to you than you may normally do. Definitely. I think there's, there is a certain vulnerability to um writing a song about something that is vulnerable for you lyrically and then kind of accompanying that with something that is uh, a lot more sort of bare bones, uh, quarterly, just kind of going, here's my message, here's what it is, you know? Yeah, it's difficult to do, but it can be done. Yeah, and uh, I was saying to Declan while I was playing, what an amazing vibrato Simone has. Oh yeah, that is a That voice. lovely wide vibrato, it's just amazing. Kind of reminds me of like Karen Carpenter or something like that. I can see that. Um, but yeah, absolutely but fantastic. But it's very powerful. It's very cool. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, Simone. Much appreciated. And uh, yeah, like I say, we'll we'll uh, link all our stuff down in the description. Thank you very much. Cool. Uh, do you want to wrap up them? Cool. So that's about it for this episode of the weekly song podcast. Uh, if you've liked what you've heard, give us a comment on SoundCloud or maybe like a five star review on iTunes or something. Or you could leave us a four-star review, or a three-star review, or a two-star review. But you don't want to go and do that. You could leave us a one-star review if you're feeling particularly cruel. Um, And if you want to message the show, if you've got a song that you've written in a week, or it doesn't necessarily have to be in a week, but if there's a song that you've written that you want to send in and hear us talk about on air, uh, send it to weeklysongpodcast at gmail.com. Where can they find you, Roger? They can find me on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, all just search Roger Heathers. Um, and uh, I have a new album out at the moment. It's really good. Next Week in Munster, and it's on Spotify and iTunes and stuff. But if you want to buy it, you can buy it from rogerheathers.com. It features uh, a fair few of the songs that were written uh, in the last season of the show, and maybe a little before that as well. But it's really good. Thank you. Um, Where can they find you? Well, they can find me... Uh, basically on SoundCloud, if you uh, look, if you're on SoundCloud you, and you see who Weekly Song Podcast is following, I'm in there. Um, I think that's basically about it. 
And we got um, some fully produced uh, versions of some of your weekly songs from the earlier series too. Uh, yeah, not many of them, but they're there and they're good. Thank you, Roger. Um, we also have a weekly song podcast Facebook page, which we're trying to use more. I think it's mostly you that's using it. <laughs> we should both like jump into that and just like share as much as we can. I've been so tempted to try and put song demos up before, but the trouble is that... Um, uh, it'll be as I'm writing them, <laughs> and there's a, yeah. the tense, the thing like you may not notice what it is. Like week four writing demo. Oh, I wonder what this is. Ah, this is spoilers. Yeah. Um, we also have a Instagram which you have really been taking the reins up on, which um, is quite nice. Yeah, we got stories, pictures, videos. That's it, because that's all you can do on Instagram. But you should go <laughs> and give us a follow. It's our weekly song po- at weekly song podcast on uh, Instagram. Maybe one day I could put like a silly picture on there that's got nothing to do with um, anything. But yeah, that's it for this week. See you next time. Ta-ra. Ta-ra.